Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. You can listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, and if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, uh, let us know you did it. We will... Uh, the next person to do it will get a copy of I Spit on Your Grave 4K Blu-ray uh, Anniversary Edition. It's really cool packaging if you're into that sort of thing. We're going to have some new new uh, prizes coming up too, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and if that's why you're not giving us a review because you don't want I Spit on Your Grave, then uh, we'll get you something else too uh, once it's ready. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod, the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, where you can listen to our I Spit in Your Grave episode along with our episode on Nirvana, Metallica, and the Beatles, uh, and several more to come. Uh, those music ones are exclusively on Patreon. I don't know if we'll ever release them to the regular uh, feed, so if you want to hear those, uh, patreon.com slash criticspod. It also is the best way to help support the podcast. And then TeePublic, our TeePublic link at ihatecritics.net. Click on that link up in the right-hand corner or go to TeePublic.com and search CriticsPod. Uh, we also broadcast live on YouTube every Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, depending on the week. But we do post a link when we go live uh, on our social media pages. All right. Do you want to start with the Critics' Choice stuff I saw you post on the social media just now, or is that not ready yet? It's uh, mostly just previewing the Oscars tomorrow because the Oscar nominations come out tomorrow. And so I was just showing off, you know, the fact that the Critics' Choice Awards are a pretty good barometer for what the Academy is going to choose. Uh, you know, you can expect to hear, uh, you know, The Power of the Dog tomorrow or uh, maybe Tick, Tick, Boom. That's an outside chance. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically why I shared that. I, the one I think tomorrow that is going to pop up uh, that is – one of the one of the leading lights of the Critics Choice Awards is Dune. Dune has been picking up awards very quietly on the on the Guild circuit, and you know that's always been a strong barometer. And of course, we loved Dune, the Critics Choice Awards, and uh, I think that one can be a big surprise. And you know, considering I like Dune, I don't mean this to denigrate Dune in any way, but it is the kind of movie that a lot of people like, and so it has that appeal that. Uh, Similar to uh, you know the other popular favorites, I guess. So while there's a couple of movies like Belfast and West Side Story that could you know def- divide that audience of uh, of uh, <laughs> of movies that are down the middle, I guess you might want to say yeah. in the in the leadership, uh, Dune is the kind of movie that could slide right in between that and maybe the one that uh, takes everything. The cool thing about Dune, though, is if that were the case. Of those three, and granted, I haven't seen the other two, but I will. Uh, but I can just tell. So I take this with a grain of salt, I suppose. But uh, I don't see myself getting mad at Dune for winning anything. On a technical level alone, that movie deserves everything it gets. So, And I'm sure it'll be one of the leading nominations, period, just because of the technical aspect of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, and he's one of the finest directors working today. Denis Villeneuve, so uh, I'm all for that. Even if I didn't love it, you gotta love it. He, you know, he t- two two big blockbuster movies, and he hasn't uh, compromised his vision at all. Right. Uh, I still want him to go back to those smaller movies, though. He was the best. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, all right, then let's just jump right into the episode and start off with another technical marvel. Jackass forever. <laughs> you want to know what a marvel, what a truly you marvel at is what the human penis is capable of. <laughs> well, these guys, are that's really 50. what. <laughs> so there's a scene in this movie where, where Steve-O is completely nude. Uh, he's standing on a box outside and uh, they, they decide that the, the stunt is they're putting, bees all over his penis just bees just a beard of bees a merkin of bees uh if you will and it is the stupidest thing i've seen in my life but it is so entertaining and the thing about the jackass guys is that just the joy that they take in doing this to each other 
translate translates to the joy that we feel watching them do this to each other. It's just like you're watching a bunch of, you know, college friends just continuously being college friends. Like they continue just the, just the, the congeniality of it is really winning as, as stupid as it all is. Uh, they, they keep coming up with these ways to hurt themselves that are very, very funny. But what it comes down to in Jackass forever is just that you really like these people. Uh, there's nothing mean spirited. Like they don't go out of their way to single any one of them out as somebody who's constantly the butt of the joke. Everybody in the group is, is the butt of some kind of joke. Everybody's, you know, getting hurt somehow. And it, it is so familial and, and uh, there's just nothing mean about it. And that's what people kind of lose about Jackass. They lose perspective of Jackass. They just think it's, they just think it's dumb comedy. But in the end, it's, it's just it's about the fact that it's funny and there's nothing mean about it, even as they're hurting each other. <laughs> well, I mean, they they get hurt, then they start laughing, you know. <laughs> and that's what. And it's I was one of the ones that didn't like it, you know. I, I would badmouth Jackass for years without ever really truly watching it. And it really wasn't until the trailer of of Jackass three, where Bam, who I don't think he's in this one or very, in a very little, is just walking by with a cup of coffee, and this giant hand smacks him, and it's the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, but it was just—I yeah. mean, even looking at this poster of Johnny Knoxville flying out of a cannon with wings on—it's yeah. dumb, but it's funny at the same time, and. Uh, I think you're right, 100% right. You're capturing friends have a good time. And when you can capture that fun uh, and then it, it spreads to the audience, that's how you make this work. I mean, the whole thing to me is impressive. These are not young guys anymore. They're not just stupid college kids anymore. <laughs> uh, a lot of them are sober, so it's not like they can even go to pills to help them out with the pain. Right. Uh, <laughs> So it's it, it's impressive. I appreciate what they do for us. I haven't seen it yet. I really want to. I will see it eventually. But I, I really just – it's not an easy movie to talk about because it's just like, remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? <laughs> That's really all it is. Am I wrong or is there a storyline through? There's no story. No, there's no kind of story. <laughs> when I first read about this, I wrote about this actually for you uh, on, on the on your old website. And uh, the, the review I wrote was basically, why are you reading a review of Jackass? And that was it. That was the entire, like, why are you reading a review of Jackass? But uh, I've been, I'm not, I don't really have anything to write about this movie. It's just, it's just funny. This is just funny. Uh, you can, I know it's low brow. It's entirely low brow. There's just penises everywhere in this movie. It opens with like Chris Pontius's penis is the first thing you see dressed, dressed up and painted like Godzilla and terrorizing his town, uh, model town. That's the first thing you see in this ridiculous movie. There's a whole bit where one of them just drops his nutsack into this hole. That's a tiny, it's a, and it's a tiny little gym set. And Knoxville's got a drill with two little boxing gloves on it, and he's just boxing his nutsack. Why is that funny? I don't know, but it made me laugh uncontrollably. <laughs> so in the trailer, there it looks like at one point they're sitting in a room with the, some meat on their lap, and there's a tiger. Is that <laughs> real? A bear. a bear. It's a bear. It's it's real. It's real. Wow. <laughs> It's a lie detector. They have to make sure they had to make sure that uh, Danger Aaron was going to tell the truth. So cover him in salmon with and honey and send in a bear. <laughs> He's going to have to tell the truth. Oh, <laughs> but that was interesting. I was watching this YouTube video and they were talking about part of the you know part of the fun of the. Uh, they were talking a little bit about Jackass, just kind of an aside as to why Jackass is so much funnier than say, you know, a lot of the hardcore right wing mean comedy in the world and it's because jackass isn't punching down at people they're not making anybody the subject of the joke uh there's this bit they used to it did a couple of the jack on the tv show and in the, one of the movies where they were just pranking golfers and it's like there's no protected class there there's nobody getting hurt it's just golfers like assholes who are on the golf course on a weekend those people are fair game to make fun of <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing it's like these guys if they're gonna make somebody the butt of their joke it's somebody who nobody 
thinks of as you know right <laughs> as a protected class you know right if you're i'm all around, i'm all for punching up <laughs> That's yeah it works for me uh and i like what i like about this you know we talked about impractical jokers i absolutely love that tv show i think it's on par with this however their movie they didn't spend as near as much time perfecting like they do here like they really do take their time with these movies and i mean they don't do them very often so you know you definitely start to miss them after a while uh it's i just it's just impressive what they do and uh, that's i'm glad this is the last one oh, yeah. <laughs> i don't think i don't think they could uh, they could really go about hurting themselves in this way uh any more than they already have uh it's it's good that they're stopping yeah it was already rough to watch the trailer and see those old guys doing that but uh one last one was pleasant and i appreciate that and uh, I'm going to go let a dog out of the room real quick. Otherwise, you're going to hear whimpering for the next 55 minutes or so. Hold on one second, yeah, everybody yeah, at home. Yeah. Ah, that sounds is going to be more entertaining than Moonfall, I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's not saying much though. <laughs> uh the Moonfall is the latest from uh Roland Emmerich, uh who had the nerve this week to actually speak out against superhero movies. He said they're ruining cinema. Really? Really, Roland? Really? <laughs> really? You're the guy to make that argument. Really? You and Scorsese, Roland. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what they're getting wrong is they're not hiring Roland Emmerich. They're hiring like real directors and taking them away from the true cinema. And, ah. and instead of getting crappy superhero movies, we're getting decent, watchable ones. And I prefer crappy ones with good movies. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Let's see. So Moonfall stars Halle Berry as sort of because she's her character doesn't really have anything to do. She's the head of NASA. She wasn't the head of NASA when the movie started, but they flash forward and she's the head of NASA. But in the past, she and Patrick Wilson and another guy are on a mission and uh, the other guy gets killed by an alien, but nobody sees it. But Patrick Wilson, he gets blamed and he becomes a, one of those people whose movie character is defined by how they, they're broke and they always have those bills facing up on the table that say past due or last notice, eviction, that kind of shit that stands in for a personality. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Patrick Wilson, this guy, why? what is it about Patrick Wilson that Hollywood is trying to do? It's like they're trying to make Fetch happen. It's like Patrick Wilson's just not happening, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, and here he he's just he's not a bad actor because i mean he's been in movies that i like like little children his blank face is the perfect thing to kind of impress upon you know make him an audience surrogate in that movie it's great but he is this charisma vacuum he's just this empty space where a movie star should be uh he he's blandly handsome in the most blandly handsome fashion and here he's cast in a role that is basically the Chris Pratt, Ryan Reynolds role where he's got to be quippy and arrogant and that's supposed to be charming. And all it does is just basically show you all the things that are wrong with the classic Ryan Reynolds, Chris Pratt role in this day and age, how that's not aging very well anymore. Uh, this is just empty. The whole thing is empty. The moon is empty for that matter, <laughs> which I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, the moon is empty. Um <laughs> This movie, there's, they cast this guy, John Bradley, who I have no idea who this guy is. I have no idea where he came from. He plays the prototypical nerd conspiracy theorist who uh, is the one who uncovers the big thing about the moon being a superstructure thing, whatever. I don't know what he's doing here, but he, he's basically call him Di Diet Josh Gad uh, is what we have here. Uh, and then for some reason, Donald Sutherland is in this movie and it's like for a minute, like, why did you hire Donald Sutherland? I know you want to work with Donald Sutherland and you hire him for anything, 
but giving him a minute and giving him this role is truly bizarre. He plays a former NASA, NASA mission commander who knows the secret about the moon because he learned it back in the moon landing in 69 and NASA has been covering it up ever since. And we meet him as Halle Berry is going to discover the secret of the moon in the NASA archives. And here's the scene. He, he's sitting at his desk. He pulls out a gun and lays it on the desk. He goes outside his office to meet with Halle Berry and this very terse exchange. And he leaves immediately. Like, like they have this very angry exchange that he leaves immediately to go back to his office and we never hear from him again. So basically the idea here is he just went back to his office and blew his fucking brains out. <laughs> that's what, that's basically what we were to take away from this. Donald Sutherland is here for one minute to argue with Halle Berry and then shoot himself in the head, which I guess maybe that's kind of an apt metaphor for how you feel about making this fucking movie. But show it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Not that I want to see. I don't know. It's but I mean, ha, the audience for this movie probably doesn't know that that he went and blew his head off. <laughs> <clears throat> They're just wondering where he went. So I don't know. He's not enough of a character in the movie for anybody to care where he went. Yeah, and the audience probably doesn't minute. even know who he is either. Right? Most people don't even know who Donald Sutherland is anymore, which is sad. Because Donald Sutherland is amazing. It's frustrating. This movie is frustrating. It it just has everything that like all the Independence Day tropes, all the you know end of the world movie tropes, everything from 2012 and Independence Day. And it's just it's so boring. And this guy's got the nerve to call out comic book movies. I would rather watch Thor: The Dark World than watch two seconds of this. Yeah. It's amazing we ever thought Independence Day was good. It gets worse the further you get away from it. Yep. <clears throat> Let's start getting away from Moonfall. Uh, the Long Night, why you watch this one, I'm amazed. Just why is that? Only because of the. I looked at the cast and the throwaway horror movies these people do every like four or five a year. We never talk about them. I assume this is one of them. Uh, <coughs> it is, yes. <laughs> but you can see that poster is kind of intriguing. I do like the poster. It's a neat poster. It looks like a Rob Zombie album cover. Like I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You know, then. Well, and the cast has uh, Rob Zombie alums. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Yeah, they don't do doing much. A, doing a diet Rob Zombie movie. Uh, this is a story about a couple who ends up at a plantation in the south, uh, the middle of nowhere. Uh, she's the lead actress. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton is going there to uh, try and find out some secrets about her parents who she never knew. Uh, they arrive. Their caretaker isn't there. The guy who's supposed to answer her questions isn't there. But a uh, character played by Jeff Fahey shows up out of nowhere and he thinks they've uh, murdered the caretaker and they do find the caretaker's body, which we kind of knew was going to be there because there's this terrible smell in the house. Like, what the fuck do you think it is? But the, the couple never found it because they're you know not characters, really. They're just sort of placeholders for all this nonsense to occur about uh, the strangers showing up outside in, <laughs> in these, in these r- r- ludicrous masks. Uh the, these people show up outside the plantation. They won't come in. They stand outside looking ominous in their masks. And then when Jeff Fahey goes to confront them because he thinks that they're the ones who killed his friend, they use their mind powers to break all the bones in his body. And then you're like, well, why don't you just do that to the couple in the house then if that's what you're left what this is about? If you're, you're, if you're that overpowered, then what's the point of keeping them alive? And the point is, is that they're related to her parents or whatever, and they need her for, for something, but they don't need the boyfriend. Kill him. Use your little mind power to kill him, then. Why leave anybody alive? Why are you waiting? Why are you standing outside? You have, you're have you ridiculously overpowered. You can break someone's bones with just moving your hand. So why, why do you need any of this scheme that you're putting us through for 90 minutes? And that's really what the the point of this is, is just once you reveal that they have this ridiculous power and then they don't use it, you're just basically going, why aren't they using their stupid powers? (laughs) The movie's over. You Right away, you go find one of those horror con actors, 
kill him off early on and now you you know you have uh, like that drew barrymore scene the light version of that the diet version of that but still <laughs> you knocked off a you know someone at the horror convention where you got the rest of your actors and you know you start to kind of buy into what maybe you could buy into it as a small little indie horror movie uh but i mean <laughs> i was intrigued when you put it on here like maybe that the shot it's good i can't imagine uh, i mean jeff fahey alone <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with him but he hasn't really right. been relevant in a long time and even when he was he was in a lot of movies yeah. like this anyway <laughs> <clears throat> and jamie lee curtis light was <laughs> uh i don't know i i, I cool poster uh, yeah but i almost Doesn't want, live up to that i'd almost rather these characters be killers of like the violent as opposed to just using their minds but like you know overpower you with their strength would be cooler <laughs> they're trying to bring back some demon and it's like when you've got this kind of unlimited power why the fuck do you need your fucking demon for like and the movie doesn't bother to try and explain that but that's the problem with every movie like this it's like the movie like the strangers what they got right is they just stuck with the lane they were in and they didn't try to add in supernatural shit or anything else it was just they were fucking with these people they made it work they didn't exp- you know it was simple this are trying to throw like three or four things into it and yeah you wonder why no one else will hear about this movie after we flip by it here in a second yeah uh polystyrene i am a cliche yes so this is a terrific documentary about the lead singer of a band called x-ray specs a punk band in the late 70s early 80s of uh england uh she was a uh a trailblazer uh polystyrene she uh not a real name, obviously, but that's the name she gave herself, and right. uh, to as a way of commenting commenting on you know the plastic nature of celebrity and stardom and image making, and uh, you know she was she was only nineteen at the time, and so some of her you know observations can be a little shallow, but that's punk music in general is kind of a little shallow. It's really just about the moment, and in the moment she was a, a real superstar. Uh, The movie is uh, kind of dealing with her legacy as a uh, mixed race woman uh, leading a punk band in a time when, you know, mixed race women aren't necessarily out front of a punk band. It's kind of an unusual spot. And that's, you know, one of many interesting aspects. She was there for, you know, the, the entirety of the, of the boom of punk rock. She knew everybody in punk rock and was part of their circles. And, uh, she had afterwards she had a very unusual journey she left the band right before they were about to actually maybe break through into the mainstream for the first time she left right before that and uh joined the hari krishna and had a child and raised her child in that rather bizarre church uh for a time before she left that uh, she was bipolar at a time when nobody knew what what, what bipolar was so they called her schizophrenic and tried to have her committed uh and that obviously you know fucked with her head a great deal and it uh, cost her a number of years with of her relationship with her daughter who uh, celeste bell who co-directed uh the film and uh this is part of her journey as well and coming to terms with who her mother was all in all you know with all the aspects of her the frightening aspects and the aspects of uh, her public life, how she belonged to, you know, into the memories of so many other people. Uh, in that way, it's rather wonderful. Uh, Ruth Nega from uh, Passing plays the voice of Polystyrene, and you can kind of go, yeah, I mean, that, where's that movie <laughs> when they're playing this character? Because that'd be really great. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, this is a good movie. Yeah, I'm, it definitely looks interesting. I love... I love documentaries about that old, especially that scene of music. You know, that time was so interesting. Uh, and being a lesser known part of that time, too, is even cooler. Uh, it just looks really awesome. Uh, I look forward to seeing it. Uh, the Other Me. Is that the right poster, I hope? That is the right, yes. Uh, Jim Sturgis uh, starring in this, along with uh, Nicola Pejic. Uh, who is a uh, trans woman. Uh, and the story here is about uh, two people who are essentially 
maybe they're the same person uh, at different points in life. Uh, he's a bartender who wishes to be an architect, but he loses that opportunity when he finds out he has a degenerative eye disease that's going to render him blind uh, very soon. Meanwhile, he meets this uh, this woman who, uh, when he meets her, she's a woman, she doesn't have a name, they don't give her a name in the movie, but when he meets her, he can see. And hints are sort of dropped throughout that uh, perhaps he and her are the same. Uh, they have the same childhood, the same parents, and that this is the whole thing is sort of dreamlike and that perhaps his real journey isn't from wanting to be a architect from being a bartender to wanting to be an architect. His real journey is from being a man to finding out that he's actually a woman. Um, and it's really, it's not like I'm, I'm going in blunt force on the met on the trans metaphor here of the other me. And uh, the movie is not that blunt. It's very dreamlike. It's very, uh, some will consider it obtuse, which is fair because it's it's definitely toying with a lot of bigger ideas. It's about sexual identity and it's about uh, confusion over gender identity and sexual identity and uh, people trying to figure out who they are. He's uh, married to a woman named Nutza who herself is having an affair with his uh, boss at the bar, but she's also kind of having this intimate relationship uh, on an intellectual level with her boss, another woman, and kind of perhaps exploring something there in her sexual identity that she wasn't aware of before. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of elements here. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot to read into. And uh, this is a form, of course, it says David Lynch presents. So this is certainly something in his tradition. Uh, Giga Eglaze is the director here, and he directs this with a, a, some soft lynch if you will <laughs> this is not this is not dark in any way this is a movie that that is uh just sort of like i said dreamlike and and uh, bleary and you i could be completely wrong about what i'm reading into it but i'm reading it nevertheless uh, mostly because no nicola Padrick is a trans woman and is a character without a name and like i said we're talking the metaphor here a guy going from being He's going blind to suddenly he can see when he's in the presence of this person like that, that the, the notes are there to get to the metaphor that I'm getting to. And I, I really love how I get how it gets there. Yeah, this is like the diet episode of the, <laughs> the podcast. Uh, <clears throat> is it homework to watch or is it play pretty smooth? It can be. It can be a little bit hard if you're not paying full attention. If you're not giving it uh, everything, you can get kind of lost in it because it is. There's a lot of dream rules, you know. Like the, right. the there's a lot of dreamy imagery in it, and uh, if you kind of if you aren't paying close enough attention, you might miss the metaphors. So you got to put, put the work in. It's not like it's going to pull you in, and you got to right. get out. Gotcha. Uh, that said, I I do recommend it. I really like it a lot. Awesome. Airdal. Airdal is a uh, 2009 movie. It's getting its first American release. Uh, it's directed by Karita Hirokazu, who uh, got a lot of attention a couple of years ago with his movie Shoplifters. Uh, this is one of his first films, and it's about a blow-up sex doll who comes to life. Uh, she's she as she as she puts it, she she found a heart, uh, and uh, with that heart, she brought herself to life uh you can't question why this happens it just does and then she just sort of goes out goes out into the world uh all she has is this kind of these fetish outfits that her owner hideo was given her and she wanders out into the world wearing this maid costume and she ends up going to a video store where she finds a job and she meets this guy junichi who's this very shy clerk who uh Certainly, they, they immediately seem to have a like an emotional connection right away, uh, but she can't explore that, obviously, because she doesn't want him to know who she really is. And uh, where it goes from there is just, again, kind of dreamlike, kind of weird. Uh, she has a lot of questions about the world, and she asks them in this very naive and sweet and childlike way. And this could tip over into parody. It could tip over into exploitation, even, because there's a lot of nudity in the movie and and sex in the movie and 
So there's there's elements of that that are right on the edge. But I think this movie really walks that line rather brilliantly by by just being so empathetic and being so beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. And she's a beautiful woman who you really, I mean, you, you've, you're, you're with her the whole way. You're just so much on her side and you're so worried about her. And then <laughs> you, you will love the ending of this movie, Bob. That's all I'm going to say. You'll love the ending of this movie. She pops. <laughs> because, because of all this, because of all that came before it is such a, it's so sweet and kind of innocent and yet also like very naked and sexual. But then something happens at the end of this movie that just blows your fucking mind. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I highly recommend you see this. Um, I plan on it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't start looking for movies to watch till last night. I wasn't in a position where I could pay enough attention <laughs> to actually yeah. read and go. Uh, but now I'm even more intrigued than I was before. I will say I walked in on my son watching a Korean kids show. So he was actually reading the subtitles and it was something about, I think it was Korean. He said it was Korean. I don't, I wasn't paying enough attention to know Uh, something about like a student. I don't know. It was, he he liked it. Uh, it Spent two hours. So I was like, and he just watched the hunger game. So I'm like, maybe it's time to, Bring Battle Royale or Martyrs or something. Something else he has to read and not Martyrs. Yeah. Not Korean either, but uh, Ichi the Killer. Yeah, there you go. Ichi the Killer is perfect. It's, it's cartoony enough. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, you have me even more intrigued now that it's right up my alley. Uh, I can only imagine. I can't even. I don't even want to try to imagine. I want to find out on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I highly recommend it. This movie is really good. It's it's really really good, and it, it's like it, it's one of those things where it's like it's one of those movies that's just taking big swings, and and it just happens to be that it's that it's nailing it for the most part. You can see this movie go very very wrong, and I understand people who see this movie as having gone very very wrong. There are elements of this that could very well be offensive if you're in the wrong mood while you're watching it. And you could see it as, like I said, exploitational or, or you know, just kind of uh, pornographic to a point, I guess. Yeah, That's, I don't even know what to say. I just want to pause and go watch it and come back and finish the show. Uh, but we'll have to do that another time. Uh Let's move on. To, uh, I did get caught up on Nightmare Alley. Uh, was it's now on Hulu, I believe. Uh, so if you want to watch it, I one of the best movies of last year. I highly recommend it. But you loved it? Oh, it was so much, just so smart. And I kind of, I mean, I knew where it was going just because. I mean, you could tell he's a. It has that uh, Twilight Zone vibe where you just know it. You know the. You know where it's going, and 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 then even when listening to you review it, and you know the horror that you when he gets to that moment that you talk about, you know it's coming the whole time, and you can even kind of predict when it's gonna come, and it still doesn't matter. Uh, it's so, I mean, Guillermo del Toro loves the subject matter. He loves these type of movies. He almost makes them as a they're adult, but like told for a like a child could watch it and understand it you know it's so you have that watchable factor to it you got like one of the most remarkable casts that you could possibly have everything about it is just it is a phenomenal movie i love guillermo del toro uh i especially lately there's i mean he has his ups and downs but it's been a a lot of ups in a row here so i'm i'm kind of excited for to see where he goes next but this is just absolutely should be watched by everybody. It's that good. It is that uh, it is incredible, really. And I think I think the name you'll hear tomorrow for sure is Bradley Cooper, and it absolutely deserved a Best Actor nomination. Uh, he he earns it. He's so great in this movie. He holds the center of attention in the movie, and and he he does this amazing. Not a, he's not an anti-hero. He's a, he's not necessarily the villain. He's kind of villainous, but he just embodies so many different aspects 
of uh, you know, it's very much like a, a 1940s kind of movie. Right. And I, I'm trying to think of a good actor who would compare with him. Not uh, not Jimmy Stewart, but maybe like a Clark Gable kind of could play a role like this. You know, like that's the kind of thing that he's pulling off here and pulling it off extraordinarily well. It's moral ambiguity and willingness to, you know, cheat the system as much as he can. And, and he's almost and a I love- victim. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of <laughs> he, like he, he gets victimized into becoming a villain. You know, he gets just tricked by his own. I mean, just I don't know. He gets so obsessed with what he was, he's doing. He was warned, though. You know, and Tony Collette is yeah. so great about the way she, she the way she just kind of l- layers that in there so beautifully. Her and Strathairn have both kind of told him like, "There's a line. If you cross that line, there's no coming back from it." <laughs> Uh, I love that. I loved it. I love that so much. Uh, and then Rooney Mara, and whew, they make some just big choices. Kate Blanchett is incredible. The chemistry with her and Bradley Cooper is just straight fire. Just, I mean, it is oh. just, let's see, they're hot. <laughs> well, and even like little side characters like Mary Steenburgen is just like. Uh, I mean, when you were Ooh, talking about the is, Donald Sutherland scene, I, that's immediately yeah. popped in my head. <laughs> like, every piece of this movie is fantastic. And I mean, I don't know. I love Tony Collette. She is like, the way we talk about Nicolas Cage is real. like, that's her to a T on even better decisions. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just her she is so great in this I mean really everybody is and and Bradley Cooper will probably get you know I think him his name being mentioned is him getting it with everybody else in mind you know it's one of those kind of we can't nominate everybody so we're going to throw them all behind you (laughs) Uh, and and that happens and there's nothing wrong he's fantastic too It's, it's so great uh, but then uh, I want to nominate. I want. I would absolutely like if I if you could allow me to just nominate somebody, just stick them right in there for just one scene. Tim Blake Nelson, that <laughs> final scene. He is so fucking great in that scene. Oh my god, he's so good. Just the the way that scene plays, and just the, it's like the blood is rushing out of your body. You're just deflated watching this scene, and the way he's playing it, and and Cooper opposite him is just it's gorgeous, gorgeous. That, that is really that is like easily the best scene of the movie, and the movie has a million great scenes because Bradley Cooper giving it back that those Ugh. two right there is. I mean, he's a different character than he was even five minutes be, ago in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the way he evolves from the beginning to the end uh, is, you know, this is where you get those cliche, you know, descriptions of, you know, just cliche adjectives of tour de force, blah, blah, blah. But that's what a role like this is, is where you, uh, you really do it all in one role and without being distracting or, you know, lessening the movie, it really is just amazing. And, you know, uh, I, I, just love it so yeah I'm glad I finally got a chance to see it and I wish I'd have watched in black and white too I could have seen that being really cool because I know they re-released it like that but highly recommend in terms of like the mainstream watchable like you know left the center not quite a blockbuster but you know kind of more not full on indie either this is like as good as it got last year as far as I'm concerned yeah, where would you if you had to go back and do, redo your top ten? Where would you drop it? That's the problem. I feel like every time I do the top ten, it'd be different. <laughs> uh, probably right in the middle, like five, four, four or five. That's oh, kinda, where I had it. Yeah, uh, only because there's so many great, uh, just wholly original indie ideas that that came out last year, and this being the best i mean but this is very much a twilight zone type story but Guillermo yeah. del toro blew it up and just made it beautiful and uh so it's so hard to say what's better or worse uh but this is right up there with anything but i just i still because of superhero movies and stuff i, I i'm more drawn to those smaller movies right now but 
this this just this is the type of movie that gives me that makes that brings me back you know this once upon a time in hollywood those type of movies that are still awesome and the director's full vision you know dune even uh yeah is what gives me hope you know that keeps me still liking movies like this uh and wanting to go back to the theater as opposed to just watching lamb all day long <laughs> <laughs> All right, Capricorn One, inspired by Moonfall. <laughs> yeah, and uh, boy, is that appropriate! <laughs> <laughs> this is such a like a old man movie. <laughs> it really is. It's the ultimate dad movie. <laughs> Capricorn One is a nineteen seventy something uh, action thriller about faking a trip to Mars. Uh, they're actually like on the launch pad, ready to launch this uh, mission to Mars. Uh, James Brolin, Sam Waterston, and OJ fucking Simpson. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, then they get pulled out at the last second. And like, what the fuck is going on? They get taken from the launch pad and taken to this place far away from the launch pad where they're put in a room and Hal Holbrook comes in and tells them, well, this wasn't going to work. It was going to be really embarrassing if you guys were going to die. Uh, but we're going to also lose our funding if we don't do something. So we're going to fake this. And if you don't go along with it, we're going to kill your families. Um, they do go along with it. But James Brolin kind of drops in a few hints here and there. So a reporter played by Elliot Gould kind of picks up on what's going on, that maybe this whole thing had been faked. And uh, that's the movie, I guess. Uh the the astronauts managed to escape because they were actually going to kill him as opposed to just uh, bring him back and pretend like they just had their mission because they couldn't trust him. You know, they were going to kill everybody who, who knew they, they faked it. So uh, they end up getting away. Whatever happens to them, blah, blah, blah. This movie has some potential. Like there's some stuff that could work here, but it just it kind of just gets bogged down in a lot of other ideas you know telly savalas shows up at one point and you're like what the fuck is telly savalas doing here telly savalas by the way who plays a pilot in a movie he hates to fly telly savalas hates to fly why did you take a role as a pilot then <laughs> kind of a dumb idea um yeah elliot gould's fine you know he's really charming but uh sam waterston's you know the best of the of the uh, astronaut group he's just He's kind of doing his own thing. James Brolin is is a truly boring actor playing another boring performance. He's a TV actor in a movie, you know? And OJ is OJ. Fuck OJ. (laughs) I don't know why I thought this would be fun. I just thought space movie and I don't know. Some people I know were talking about it like a couple weeks ago and how they loved it. And I thought, oh, all right, let's see. There's, there's nothing wrong with the movie. It's just, no, you no. know, when Roland Emmerich says superhero movies ruin cinema, this is what it ruined. They, these movies don't <laughs> exist anymore. You know, either that or because yeah. when they try to exist, it's Bruce Willis going, no, we're going to shoot this, this, and this. It's going to be a Bruce Willis movie. You know, it. these are the movies that are gone. <laughs> and and I'm there's nothing wrong with them, but they're also so kind of goofy that it's just like, you could not pay attention to the whole time and then turn it, you know, watch the end where James Brolin and Elliot Gold come walking into the room. And, you know, it's like watching the Royal Rumble or something like that. You don't have to watch the whole thing just <laughs> to see the end of it. Uh, You're like the freeze frame ending, like <laughs> such a stupid 70s thing. Like the, the, the best part of the movie is right there. Like, Watching Hal Holbrook twist in the wind is far more going to be far more entertaining than anything we've seen so far. And then they go, nope, freeze frame, movie's over. Imagine what would have happened. Well, at one point, it looks like Elliot Gould dies. <laughs> and then he's not dead. Uh, so I, How do these guys not kill just one reporter who's very obviously everywhere, like easy to find? You got to his car. He survived that. You shot at him and then just gave up shooting at him. Like He's not a hard guy to kill. He goes right to where you want him to be to kill him. Just kill him. Over and over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it remains just completely flippant and disinterested. He's been murdered like twice in this movie. He's like, he's very, just very calm about this. 
And you don't even like really even buy into why they're doing what they're doing. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, they <laughs> like the whole we're gonna lose funding thing. I mean, I, I don't know that it's it's just kind of weak. Uh, it seems too super villainy for the government. Uh, Which is funny because NASA helped them do this, even though NASA was the villains. <laughs> like they helped with all the research and the and the vehicles that they gave them for the movie. And they're like, you're the, you guys are the villains. <laughs> I'm sure this was a great action movie in, in the time. It certainly doesn't yeah. hold up. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but it's, I mean, it was kind of, in a way, it was kind of fun to watch because it was definitely something that I'm surprised I haven't seen it, if I'm being honest. I've seen movies like this over and over again that my dad would watch all the time. So it's practically... You know, you knew where it was gonna ha- what was gonna happen, and where it was gonna go from the second the movie started. When you described it last week, I knew where it was gonna go. <laughs> but uh, it is, it is. A, I think the most interesting thing about the movie is by between, like, it was less than a decade after the moon landing, and we were already jaded assholes apparently about going to the moon. We turned into complete pricks about the most amazing moment in human history. Less than a decade later, we're like fucking children. We really are. We can't be entertained by anything. We went to the moon, and now it's like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, we went to the moon. Whatever. <laughs> a decade later, we're over it already. Well, you, I mean, like, it's... fucking defund NASA. I don't care. <laughs> it's movies like this and other ones from that era that planted the seeds of you know, government conspiracies and this and that. And here oh, yeah. now they're in full bloom thanks to movies like this. So thank you, Capricorn One. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is our... <laughs> there, there are moments, like you said, like there are moments where they're kind of... Like uh, Karen Black and, and uh, Elliot Gould going back and forth. That was kind of funny. The, the, the Their flirting, but it's like, you know, people are trying to murder you, Elliot Gould. Maybe you should be more concerned about that. <laughs> Right. Like they just planted cocaine on you and arrested you. Maybe you should be a little unnerved right now. Yeah, I feel like most of the time when I see this movie, it's Robert Redford in the Elliot Gold role. <laughs> <laughs> like you're never reacting to anything that ever happens to him. Right. Uh, and just, you know, just, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, I can knock it off the bucket list that, that wasn't on, but I can now say I've seen it. <laughs> Same. I'd never seen it before, so and <sighs> it's been I, it was so out of my memory that uh, I didn't remember that fucking OJ's in it. Yeah, I was gonna make a joke next week and do a Bill Cosby movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because when we were watching that, I was like, oh, I kind of want to see some of these old movies, and I'm like, wait, we can't. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, I spent most of the week watching TV shows. Uh, I started. Did you Pam, watch? Well, I started Pam and Tommy, and I, it's not that it was bad. I just didn't care after a while. If that makes sense, I got bored. I, I don't know if I'm going to go back. Uh, I got through three episodes and I quit. I fell asleep in the during the third one, and I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like I missed anything. And I probably would have been interested if they would have done a nice movie version of it with that cast and that director, even if it didn't make a difference that it existed. Uh, there's just too much going on. and That's an interesting point. You know, like uh, Hulu and, and Netflix seem to be doing this thing where they're taking like ideas that might make a good movie and dragging them out to series length to get more, you know, eyeballs and hours. Uh, like that, you were telling me about it. You told me about this Kristen Bell show that's on Netflix that's like supposed to be a parody of the like woman a- in the window or the lady on the train. And I uh, and it's like they've stretched it out to nine episodes and they've like completely flattened out the comedy of it. Did you <laughs> they see didn't, it or no? I watched somebody else talk about it because I didn't want to bother with watching a fucking series. And like I, I got the I got the strong impression that it's just the the lengthening it out to nine episodes just basically robbed the premise of any energy that it might have. Well, it was oddly enough. I was able to actually watch all nine episodes in like two days. I mean, it did hold my interest it, but the intent is very weird. I mean, it's a full blown thriller. It's not really a parody. The title's clearly a parody. Yes. (laughs) 
Uh, it's almost like they're trying to make the room. Because uh, Kristen, <laughs> like they're they're Kristen Bell just keep going. Am I doing a bad enough job yet? And they're like, you just be as serious as you can. And so there's elements of parody there where, but I, I don't know. It, it kind of works, but it's. I don't know. It's hard to say. You couldn't make too many of these movies because after a while, the idea dies quickly. It's not a full-blown parody. It's just a really bad acting in this serious drama, which kind of makes it funny. <laughs> uh, the title is clear. Like, from everything I saw, it's, it's, oh, yeah. the clear intent was parody. <laughs> when you watch it, it's not a parody at all. You know, it's not, it's not Anna Ferris. It's... <laughs> It's Tommy Weasel. I'm not, and I'm not even <laughs> and they pull off what they're trying to do. Uh-huh. And I mean even the twist at the end is so absurd, but it's believable enough. Like I'll just kind of spoil a little bit of. It. I won't spoil it all the way, but basically at some point every character comes out and is like the bad guy. Like they <laughs> they go down the rabbit hole without but they play it so serious that you're kind of laughing when they do it. The problem is, like you said, it's nine episodes, so it does kind of, you're not laughing hard because you're a little bit, you're just kind of chuckling. And, yeah. Uh, so it, it's, and then there's just these weird sex scenes <laughs> that <laughs> are just like randomly thrown in throughout, uh, especially in one episode. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It, it's, I, I can't recommend seeing it. It's more the idea that's funny than the movie itself, but the, or the show. But I, I do think they accomplish what they're going for, but it's still not worth. I don't know that they're going for anything that great. So it's, yeah. you know, they're tricking you into thinking it's a parody, but it's really a thriller. But really, it's a bad movie inside of a thriller, and it's it is. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I don't know that anybody wants to see. So wait, that. is there like a show with it, a show element to it, or? <sighs> No, it's just intentionally bad acting. It's not, you know how you like to laugh at the people as opposed to them doing it on purpose? This is probably the one example where they do it on purpose and it works. Oh. It's just that the idea isn't fresh enough that it's worth watching. Uh, you mean, Sounds annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when you watch a lot of things, it's just a waste of your, you specifically be a waste of your time. There's no reason for you to watch this. Uh, that's why I watched Amanda the Jedi review it because right. <laughs> I don't want to watch the well, whole think of the movies they're parodying it's like why would you even care about those <laughs> movies to begin with you know right? from the get it, it's I just like Kristen Bell a lot and she hasn't really done anything since in a long time so I was curious and my wife wanted to see it and next thing you knew we were nine episodes in <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 1992 Mississippi Masala Final Analysis and Medicine Man. Did you watch any? Of yeah, those? I forgot to watch Medicine Man. Damn it! I meant to watch Medicine Man. I never found time. That's all right. Next week we got Blacklight, Death on the Nile. If we're really feeling froggy, marry me. Uh, it's on Peacock. If you want to watch that with us, uh, there's a movie called The Sky Is Everywhere on Apple. Big Bug on Netflix. We're definitely watching that. Uh, I want you back on one of these networks. The in-between Kimmy on HBO max. Also Belfast and red rocket come out. I should probably watch those at some point uh, because of big bug. Who's that? What's that director's name? Uh, John Pierre. Sure. Uh We're going to watch a very long engagement. I haven't seen that one, but I'm enjoying knocking off all the movies. I haven't seen of his, and this one appears to be the best of all of them. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And then 92 Wayne's World turns 30, so that'll be a fun... Uh, not that I'm going to watch it again, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch it again. I'm excited to see it again. I, I just read a great interview with uh, Penelope Spiris uh, talking about the 30th anniversary and uh, telling stories about it. And, uh, it was it was fun to, to, to revisit that. I love her, and I, I hate hearing the horror stories to work with Michael Myers, even though it... <laughs> He ended up being right a couple times. Uh, it's still, you, you want to hear that, that it went smoothly. <laughs> but I love the movie, uh, and hopefully I have time to watch it. Uh, let's see. A little bit of flick chart before we call it an yeah. episode. Let's do it. 
Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, The English Patient. Jesus. Talk about homework. (laughs) (laughs) Which three-hour epic are you watching? Uh, I'm watching Lord of the Rings, probably. Yeah, all right. That's fine. Uh, Singing in the Rain, Big Top Peewee. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Gone in 60 Seconds, X-Files, I Want to Believe. (sighs) Gone in 60 Seconds is bad. X-Files is a great... I don't know. Uh, it's it's a it's like X Caught in Sixty Seconds is fun just for how stupid it is and Nicolas Cage is always entertaining. X Files is like a competently made movie that's kinda kinda good. So I don't know where to go on that one, honestly. And I haven't watched either one of them, so I'll I can flip a <laughs> coin for you if you want. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's gone in 60 seconds. I mean, if I had to watch one right now, just yeah. for the Nicolas Cage element, I'm going to go gone in 60 seconds. That, and I've never really watched anything X-Files, so I don't know if I'd know what's going on. So <laughs> there's that, too. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Crouching Tiger. Yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, Puss in Boots. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 4. <laughs> yeah I'd rather go back to my teenage years than my parenting years Lay <laughs> Miz or knowing Lay <laughs> Miz all the way one of your favorites or one of your least favorites <laughs> the interpreter Bubba Hotep Bubba Hotep yeah Roxanne. Didn't quite, yeah Bubba, Ho- Bubba Hotep didn't quite work but it works better than the interpreter. Yeah. Bubba Hotel is one of those ideas that are better than the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I like watching it for like half an hour, and then I'm like, I don't want to finish this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good description of it. Roxanne, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Roxanne. Yeah. Coach Carter, The Shining. The Shining. Absolutely. Alien three, seven pounds. Seven pounds. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, a history of violence. A history of violence. Yeah. Great movie. The Icicle Thief <laughs> or The Wolverine? Never heard of The Icicle Thief. Neither have I. The Vanishing, The Wolverine. I've not seen that version of The Vanishing, I don't think. I have not either. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, The Wolverine. <laughs> yes, that one. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. I want that poster, too, for that. You don't kidding. I've, I've never seen that before. That, <laughs> that was, was a cool movie. poster, right? 1940s Jack Nicholson. That's great. Rebel Without a Cause, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Crouching Tiger. But I, got, I, I like Rebel Without a Cause. I think it's a good movie. I do, too. But Crouching Tiger is fantastic. Tangled or Ray? Uh, tangled. I know Ray is not good, but I do like the performance. I'll flip it. Always one the one that no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Doolittle, the man with one red shoe. The man with one red shoe. Doctor Doolittle's unwatchable. <laughs> Either any version, any version of Dr. Doolittle watching. <laughs> that was the Eddie Murphy version. Yeah. Lost in translation, finding Neverland. I do love finding Neverland, but it's no contest. It's lost in translation. Yeah. The wedding singer, short circuit. Uh, what do you, what do you prefer? I hate short <laughs> circuit more than anything. So I'll go the Fair enough. Singer. Go with the wedding singer. That's fine. Uh, the Fast and the Furious, The Holiday. Fast and the Furious. I don't give two shits, so that's fine. <laughs> A Walk to Remember, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. Love it. Absolutely. Super 8, Mars Attacks. 
Super 8. It's fine. Ex Machina, the law-abiding citizen. Oh, Ex Machina by a lot. Yeah. Law-abiding citizen sucks. Fences Identity. Oh, I don't even like Fences, and it's still better than Identity. I thought I liked Identity. What was that one? Identity is the one where it's all in one guy's head. Uh, maybe not. I'm thinking. I think <laughs> Spoiler I'm thinking, alert. I <laughs> think I'm thinking of something else. Uh, I'll go with you. There's one with. It wasn't my identity. Now I know. Oh, this is great. Spice World Midnight Cowboy. Sean is laughing so hard you guys can't even hear him because the volume is <laughs> distorted. I mean, if you had to put one in right now, you're putting in Spice World, are you not? Yeah, probably. Because Mid- Midnight Cowboy is just so so dreary. <laughs> yeah. And Spice World's only like 80 minutes. So, I mean, and that, that wins. <laughs> Absolutely. The man who wasn't there, MASH. The Man Who Wasn't There. Desperately underrated movie. Absolutely. I've never actually seen MASH, though. Oh, you gotta see it. It's awesome. Someday. Bonnie and Clyde, The Devil's Rejects. I'm curious where you go with this one, because you hate Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, let's flip it. I'm gonna lose, because I want to win this one. I'll be goddamned. You won one, alright. Never. <laughs> rarely does Devil Rejects pop up here. Uh, what the fuck? I've never seen Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. I thought that was porn. <laughs> What's the swastika behind it? Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail or Identity. That's easy. Monty Python. Loose in London, the touch of that touch of make two movies I have not seen. Skip them both. I'm sure I've seen that touch of mink because my mom saw every <laughs> Cary Grant movie, but I don't remember it. Oh, this is awesome for me. Good Arm- fucking Christ. Armageddon or Sphere. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Be a pile of dog shit instead. I'll put that in my DVD player. Just <laughs> ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be better than subjecting my player to this. To either of these fucking movies. I love I love hearing it. Why Armageddon the the hatred I know it's bad, but like your level of uh, hatred for it, I mean it knows it's a bad movie. The Jerry Bruckheimer knew it was bad. Uh, <laughs> and Affleck knows it's bad. It's so loud and so stupid. I saw it at the Moline Theater in ninety eight when it came out and I I was just so angry. Just it was so loud and incomprehensible, and the characters were so obnoxious. Those characters are so obnoxious. Like every one of the supporting characters, I just wanted, I just hated them all so much. And then that sound design, which is, I, I'm probably still recovering my hearing from that piece of shit fucking movie. So on top of it, I'm in pain. It's bad. The characters are obnoxious. It's ruining Ben Affleck, who I love. I mean, what is there to like about that? What's even worse, which I never really even thought about. Well, I guess I've thought about it, but now that you're talking, I'm a big Aerosmith fan. I can no longer see them in concert without them playing the song. And prior to this, I could see them without playing that song. And that song's not very good. It's a shitty song. You know, we used to... I think we had a conversation offline once about what it takes and how bad that is. And this is basically just what it takes. It's the band's not doing anything and Steven Tyler is singing and it's, I'd rather hear the band do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The other song on the soundtrack that you don't ever really get to hear is way better than that one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Let's just, and sphere is not even worth talking about. That's yeah. That was Dustin Hoffman. What do you, what do you, <laughs> yeah. Enough said. Well, just, we won't give either one of them the, <laughs> the luxury of picking them. Iron Man 3 or Rocky Balboa? Iron Man 3. I don't actually care, but I will flip it. I do like Rocky Balboa, but Iron Man 3 is also awesome. And Iron Man 3 it is. The Jerk Juno. 
I have a lot of love for the jerk, but Juno all the way. Absolutely. The Brady Bunch movie, The Watchmen. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, I don't. I I don't think the Brady Bunch movie pulled off what they wanted to with it. Like the whole idea is that that the Brady Bunch, even even at their even in their own time, they were fucking weird. Like even in the actual 1970s, they were a fucking weird show. And taking them into the 90s just kind of takes that joke to a very obvious place. Right. Uh, so. Watchmen at least is ambitious, so let's go with that. What don't you like about the Watchmen? Just out of curiosity, were you a fan it's of the graphic novel or not really even paid attention? Not to Not real. I'm, I mean, the graphic novel's fine. It's it's just overly long and ponderous. The look of it is bad. Patrick Wilson is again a, a vacuum, a charisma vacuum, and pl- having him as the sort of Batman character is just dreary and it just it's so hateful of superheroes like it just doesn't even seem there's no joy zero joy in the movie and i'm not saying every movie has to have joy but like there has to be something that people enjoy in the world isn't there it can't all be bleak all the time yeah i mean i'll be honest while i liked it and i when I read the graphic novel, I liked that as well. I also have never gone back and watched it again because it's it's kind of homework in a lot of ways. You know, but but Steven Soderbergh would probably find Watchmen to be his favorite superhero movie. Did you hear what he said this week? No, he doesn't like Marvel movies because nobody fucks. There's no fucking in Marvel movies. <laughs> Why don't they fuck all these beautiful people? Nobody fucks. Thank you, Stephen. That's you really added something to the discourse. We appreciate it. I mean, they're already long enough. 